from Crossway uh, Publishers because the other one I had in the middle of uh, Ezekiel, a couple of pages fell out. Then I looked and said, they have a lifetime warranty. I called them, they said, fine, we'll send you a new one. Whoa, <laughs> new Bibles for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, but uh, whether it comes in this technological form, a book, or whether it comes in this technological form, uh, an iPad, iPod, or smartphone, or whatever, right? Uh, it's, the, it's the revelation of God. We should take it for granted. <laughs> it's going to be my new theme for today. Take it for, it's given by God. One of the great theologians of, of the Reformation was uh, John Calvin. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read his prayers, but almost all of his prayers start out, grant us, O Father, but give us, help us. So let's take this seriously. And I want to spend a little time, uh, last week, like I said, I took the whole scope of the resurrection of Lazarus and how powerful and amazing and glorious it is. And, and I kind of went fast over the gems, the beautiful, glorious gems in this text. And I want to focus in a little bit today on John 11, 25 through 27. And I say a little bit because I, I, we will spend the time thinking about this, but it's just a beginning. It's just glorious and amazing and so this is John 11, um, as I said, you see it on the screen, 25 through 27. Uh, let, I'll read a little bit here, uh, verse 17 and following John 11. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. You know, let's just take some little notes here as we think this through. Jesus purposefully did not heal Lazarus. He purposefully, uh, let's just use the word allowed, him to die. So that he, and, and the folks in the story don't know why. But one of the outcomes of that death is that there's a massive crowd, an audience, to see the glory of God out in Bethany. And the, you know, the cool part of the story is, which we don't get to this week, uh, but look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So these folks went out to console Mary and Martha. They went to a funeral. Instead, they saw a huge resurrection from the dead. And they believed in Jesus, another purpose of God revealed for us right there. So uh, Mary and Martha apparently were very well-known, very popular folks, and a lot of people had come out. We don't know how many, but many. It says many. They went out to console them. Verse uh, 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. You know, may, maybe the so is there because of the crowd. Maybe she didn't want Jesus to be embarrassed or something, you know, or to do, to 
say something embarrassing in front of all those people. I, I, I don't know. But she went out away from the big crowd to go get, meet Jesus in a private place. Maybe it was simply just to have some private words for him, with him. But anyway, when, so when Mar Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary, Mary remained seated in the house. I don't, I don't think Mary had heard about Jesus yet because when she does hear, she gets up and goes. But anyway, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, we understand her point of view. Uh, she's really reasoning with Jesus. Jesus, you could have made this a lot better for us if you had answered our prayers, uh, answered our request when we wanted you to answer them and how you wanted to answer them. And, and I take in this actually, as I said last week, Jesus is compassionate here. He, he doesn't crush her. He doesn't reprimand her for asking this painful question, a very confrontational question, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I don't know the tone of her voice, but the question itself is straight on to Jesus. But she does say something here that makes it a little better, perhaps a little softer. Again, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's pause for a second there. Sorry for pausing too much, but actually, I'm not really that sorry. I apologize for that apology. Oh, Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, why am I pausing here? Because you remember when Mary did finally get the word and she ran out to see Jesus just like Martha did, remember she says the verbatim same thing in verse 32. Uh, now when Mary came to where Jesus saw, was and saw him, she fell at his feet. So she's very, she's prostrate uh, on the ground in front of Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I take from that, it's pretty obvious, Mary and Martha uh, had been, I think they'd been saying this to each other for probably four days now. You know, if only, if only Jesus had been here, he could have healed Lazarus. You know, th that's how they were consoling themselves, uh, in a sense, saying, if only, if only, if only Jesus had uh, responded quicker, sooner. Okay, so that's their grief process. And again, I, uh, Jesus is compassionate. There's absolutely nothing wrong with opening your heart and letting God know how you feel. Here's, here's, they're with Jesus himself. And they're asking him these pretty uncomfortable questions. And, and the Bible's filled with that. Go read the Psalms. I pointed out last week, probably one of the most outstanding ones is Psalm 22. Easily, easily remember it because it's right near the famous one, Psalm 23, right? It's Psalm 23 is so beautiful. It's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. It's hallelujah, beautiful. This is a wonderful experience. Psalm 22 is on a different emotional page, shall we say. 
Is one inferior to the other? No. <laughs> they, they are the word of God. Both of them. And that says that it's good to be a well-rounded human being and, and uh, express your emotions because Psalm 22 doesn't say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You are far from my cries for help. Yeah, it's a different emotional page, isn't it? <laughs> And so, it's good to be real in our grief. I, I quoted it last week, and, and a lot of you weren't here last week, so I can, I can just preach the same sermon, probably. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but I did quote last week, remember. Jesus said, blessed are those who suppress their grieving, put on their makeup, take a Valium, <laughs> And go out in public like nothing ever happened. <laughs> now, oh no, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't say that. Blessed are those who grieve. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. We should be better at mourning. Our culture suppresses it. I used to work at a hospital. And I, 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 it'd be the weirdest, horrible thing. Uh, a family member like mom died. And, you know, her her child, her adult child, runs into the room, throws herself on the, the bed, weeping and crying. And the nurses and the staff in the hospital are like, oh, we have to do something. This, this, is, uh, this is not healthy. This, and I'd, you know, I'd be saying, let him grieve. It's fine. You know, can we offer you a prescription? You know, they're like, can we get you something? <laughs> this really happens uh, in typical American hospital because America... We want everybody to be happy all the time. Okay, so that's all going on here. There's this deep sorrow and, and intensity of, of emotion that God purposefully brought into their lives. See, that, that's the point of this whole thing here. That's the context. He purposefully brought this into their lives. He loved them, so he waited two more days. That's a tough pill to swallow. Okay, but now we're getting to where we were supposed to be going. <laughs> Verse 24, Martha said to him, and here's her confession of faith in the midst of the crucible, I know that he will rise again. I'm sorry, let me read back. I missed something there. Verse 22. Um, Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And here's her statement of faith. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's a beautiful saying of like, not my will, but yours be done. I submit to you. I trust you. You can do anything. I trust you through this. Okay. God will give you. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. Now, this is, in English is an interesting expression. I am the resurrection and the life. But in the Greek, 
as you recall, it's even more exciting because the first two words are ego me. And John is using this as a pattern. He does this specifically. Uh, I've got a whole study on it. And I'm developing a whole a sermon on it. Uh, but there's seven times that he, he does this specifically uh, pointing out the, the nature of Jesus. And the I am, the ego a me, is repetitive. Uh, he, it's I, I am, but what's really dynamite about this is uh, the Jews in this era were extremely well-versed in what's called the Septuagint, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Okay? And if you go to uh, Exodus chapter 3, uh, well, yeah, let's look at that real quick. Uh, this, is, uh, this is so important that we should be very familiar with this. Exodus 3, it's the burning bush story, which hopefully you know, and you can go and read it for yourself more. And uh, let's, I won't read the whole thing for lack of time. Let's just go to verse 13. This is Exodus 3.13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, you know, God has uh, commissioned him to go back to Egypt and let my people go, and lead them out, right? So Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So in the Septuagint, that very first expression, I am, is ego emi. I, I am. And so, this is radical that Jesus is claiming this. He's saying, I am Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God, and Yahweh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. And Jesus isn't saying, I'm, I'm an emanation from God, I'm a lesser God, I'm a, a big, powerful angel. No, I am. I exist self-sufficiently forever and ever. And like I said, there's a whole big study on it that needs to be carefully uh, discerned. But this is the sixth time in John's Gospel where we have this phrase, I am, and like, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, uh, I am the bread and the living bread. Uh, this is the sixth time, and there's specifically seven in John's Gospel, and John 14 is the final one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, but that's for another sermon. But here in verse 25 is this amazing, beautiful statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Or it could be properly translated. It's a present tense verb. Are you believing this? Faith has to be present tense. So let's pray. Father, as we spend a few minutes of these, this granted hour, oh, Father, 
we spend a few minutes to meditate on your holy word. I confess I'm frail and and a faulty human being, unable uh, to do anything on my own. Without you, we can do nothing. Unless you build a house, we labor in vain. So, Father, would you take your kindness and grant to us what we need to hear from your precious word today. And give me strength, give, give me presence of mind to say what you want to be said. Guide us, Lord, and we pray for encouragement today from this uh, challenge, clarity. There's some in the room that really haven't thought these things through at all. Uh, Lord, we pray for special clarity for them and then for all of us, we need your guidance. We thank you that your spirit is the great teacher. And so we depend on you, O Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so I want to look then with you at this amazing, the hiccups are great, thank you. <laughs> hey, we, we absolutely love babies. I thank you, uh, Pierre, for praying for the for the babies. Well, Charlotte and I are expecting three babies, grandchildren, <laughs> this year, three of them. So I, uh, I was praying for that. Uh, two of them are going to be born overseas, so Lord willing. Uh, anyway, that's a distraction. It's not a distraction. Sorry, Maris. <laughs> Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He, he doesn't produce it. It's not something he does. It's something he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, One way to put this is he is the change and solution we need. The Bible actually teaches us stuff that we don't even know naturally. Uh, It teaches us, for example, you're dead. Wait a minute, I feel alive. No, but the Bible actually straight out teaches We are all born spiritually dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. It's Ephesians chapter 2. We need outside force to change this. No dead man, unless he's God himself, can raise himself from the dead. Lazarus could not do it. Uh, he, He had no ability to do it. Jesus is the change and solution we need. And just, I put this up on the screen just just to think about this. What does this mean? He is the resurrection and the life. Well, it gets to John's definition of faith or to believe in this gospel. Uh, Remember back in chapter 6, we could turn there quickly. It's the passage about eating eating Jesus after the great miracle when Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus goes on to, this is one of the I am's, the ego emmes. I am the bread of life. And he says over and over in this passage, this actually pretty uncomfortable assertion that you have to come and eat me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Now, you know, you don't, I don't think you hear a lot of sermons about that uh, in, um, in your larger sort of slick, slickmeister churches, you know. 
come, we're going to talk about eating Jesus today. I, I'm not laughing, but I'm saying it's just something we avoid because it's kind of weird. huh? It feels kind of weird, but it's not in the context of John 6 because as a faithful, beautiful author, the Holy Spirit through John the Apostle makes it really, really clear what he's talking about. Let me just uh, butt in uh, on this conversation in John 6, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus? Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. God is absolutely sovereign over everything of him, through him, to him, are all things, even the matter of who comes to Christ in salvation. Your, your, your command is you believe, you obey, but God has to work through it because we're dead. God has to work through this to draw us to Jesus. And if you've come to Jesus, you should say, thank you, God, for this kind grace that you've brought me to this realization that I need Jesus because I wouldn't have come up with that on my own. And you see, if you did come up with it on your own, you'd be in heaven strutting around, look at me, I made the right choice. <laughs> you know, I was pretty cool to think this thing through myself. <laughs> Just, uh, the Bible says, so that no one can boast. All glory goes to God fully. Anyway, this is John 6, uh, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And the actual word there is like to drag. Drag kicking and screaming. It's not like, woohoo, would you like to come over here? <laughs> Try that on Lazarus. Yeah. Hey, Lazarus. <laughs> no, it says he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Um draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. See, God, the Father, works in our hearts, teaches us, awakens us, and we come to Jesus. That's why we should be worshiping him all the time. We want to live whole lives of worship to God. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I'm sorry, I can't preach every, every word I come on to, right? But this is like absolute certainty, absolutely, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats, and this is, these are present tense verbs, if you're eating, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man 
give us his flesh to eat. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now, he's absolutely not talking about a, a Christian ritual. I, I mean, I, honestly, I think that just makes it so, so narrow and so cheap and, and so uh, flat. He, he's, he's saying, these are uh, present tense verbs. You must be eating me and drinking my blood. You must be in me. You must believe into me, is the Greek word, ace, into. Believe into me because I am. I am the resurrection and the life. You've got to be in me to have these benefits because Jesus is the change and solution we desperately need. He is the resurrection and the life. And, and look at the word play. It's probably an improper way to put it, but just the language he uses here. It's so intense and cool. Again, back to John eleven twenty five. 25. Uh, Maris might like this. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he's acknowledging that believers die. We do die. Uh, you know, the church is 2,000 years old. The humans are many thousands of years old. And believers and faithful people have died, have died, have died, have died. Does that mean their faith is phony, stupid, they wasted their time believing all that. Well, actually, yeah, it is phony if they don't rise from the dead. If there is no future, then they are of all folks to be pitied. What fools, John would say, I mean, Paul would say in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, but look at the, the language here, it's so wonderful. I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then look at the next one uh, here. We will never die. Huh? <laughs> you just said even if we die, and now you're saying we don't die. Um, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes, those are present tense. Get this, faith must be present tense ongoing action. If you meet somebody who says, oh yeah, I used to believe that. Uh, we actually are convinced that they never, they never did really come to true faith. Because true faith demonstrates itself in sticking with it, in present tense action. As you come to the Lord and Savior. Now they, they might come back God might restore them, and maybe they were real in the first place. This is beyond our capacity, right? I'm not playing God and telling you what's going on in other people's hearts. But it's a present tense here. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So that's where we get this sort of riddle 
It's a riddle. You know, yes, we will die, but we will live. And by the way, we'll never die. <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, uh, let's look at that a little bit here. We will never die. This is available to all who believe. Uh, clearly, in the text, see uh, verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Are you believing this, Martha? Are you believing it now? Can I ask you that question? Are you believing this now? This is the means to life. Jesus is the Savior for all who believe. And it's a glorious granting from God that we can believe in Jesus Christ. And so this is available to all who believe, and, and he, he means kind of in the context, he means what he says, and that is everyone who believes, but it's, it's a universalism. It's a, a supracultural proclamation. You know, it's not just for Jews. It's not for the Greek Gentiles. Uh, it's for the pagans, you know, in far-off uh, Norway. E even Norwegians can get saved. You know, it's hard to imagine, but it, they can. That's how good God is. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you say, Lars? <laughs> I'm partially Norwegian, so I can, I can say that too. <laughs> but, that, I mean, that's the point. I make a little joke of it. But it's supra-cultural. Everyone, it's a gospel for the world. God so loves the world that he gave the solution, not a solution, not one in many possibilities, but the only sufficient, real, granted solution. Let's take him for granted. Amen. So I want to, let's see, I'm looking at my time. I think this is good. Let's go on to this. Jesus has all power from God. And I think I'm going to have to, I'm going to read this quickly. I, we have plenty of time. Because I, I didn't get to read this last week, and I, uh, so turn in your Bible then to John 5, 19 uh, through 29. Uh, I, let's just kind of look at this quickly. Uh, we, we've looked at it a few times as we've been studying through John. Um, um, this is a fantastic, interesting, provocative section of Scripture. I literally, uh, although, you know, grew up in the church, studying the Bible off and on my whole life, uh, it, was about, it was roughly probably 27 years ago that I first read this. And I said, what? I never saw that before. <laughs> and to this day, I'm still going through that. Like, what? This is amazing. I, 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 teach me, oh God, what this means, right? And watch the truly trulys. There's a few of them in here, which is if Jesus had a pulpit, he's pounding the pulpit. It's Emphasis. Yeah. Emphasis. It, it's amen, amen. So, okay, let me just read it here with just a few comments. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Let me just pause and think about that. If Jesus Christ can do nothing of his own accord, why am I trying to do anything of my own accord? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I should start praying right now. I should get on my knees for strength to do anything at all. Apart from him, we can do nothing. 
Okay, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. For the Father does all. Of him, through him, and to him are all things. The, the, the Trinity does, does it all. So this is what he's doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now this is critical. You cannot pick and choose your reality. Reality is a brute fact for us. That means it's out of our causal domain and we bump into it. It's outside of us. And the nature of God is outside of us. Uh, there's this horrible cultural American lie that you can just make God up any way you want him. In fact, we say, God, you know, what's it? God as I see him, or God as I perceive him. Or you, you, you even hear Christians say this. They'll say, oh, oh, you'll read a passage of scripture like I've been reading this morning, and they'll say, that's not my God. You hear people in churches say, I've heard that. And you know what, that, you know, let's just step back. <laughs> You're making God? God doesn't need your help. <laughs> he's, not, he's not made, for one thing. He's not synthesized. He exists. I am. And, and so these people who say, well, I like God, but I don't, you know, Jesus dying on the cross, shedding blood wrath of God? No, that's not my God. Well, that, then you don't have the biblical God. You don't have the true and living God. You don't have the God to whom we will all answer. And he has told us very clearly who he is. It, it's not a mystery. We're not trying to initiate you into some kind of weird mystery here. <laughs> it's open, it's wide, it's here. <laughs> it's right here. And it's, it's, you know, it's practically free. The, the, the information uh, is here. I'm sorry, let me just read here. Uh, that you may marvel, honor the Son as you honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is the one who was sent by God the Father. So if any religious organization lowers the value of God the Son they are not representing God the Father. Verse 24, truly, truly, there's that emphasis again, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. 
Notice up, he said, the Son gives life to whom he will. Earlier in the passage, we said, we said that the, whole, the Father speaks to the dead, and here the Son speaks to the dead, and we know the Holy Spirit speaks to the dead and raises them up, gives them life, and they come out of the grave, and that hour is here and now. Is this your hour? Are you hearing God calling you? Well, the text says, believe, receive him. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. We deserve that. We deserve judgment. All of us. And, you know, we deserve it all the time. I don't know about you, but I have this tendency to dig stuff up that I regret. Yeah, and I, I, I have to keep going back. If I've asked for forgiveness. It's been forgiven, but I still feel bad about it. The people in the thing, they forgave me, and I still feel bad about it. And I've got to go all around and say, I'm not coming into judgment, not because of me. I'm not coming into judgment because of Jesus Christ. He is the full, perfect payment for my sin. I'm forgiven in him. And in him only. It's a glorious freeing. It's a spiritual discipline. To keep believing. Faith must be. Class. Present tense. It must be present tense. Okay. So they hear and they will live. For as the father has life in himself. So he has granted the son also. To have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. We're going to be judged by a brother, a son of man who is the son of God. Do not marvel at this. For an hour, this is, this is the part that really is so amazing. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming, well, it's all amazing. An hour is coming when all, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. This is saying that every human being that ever lived, going back to the very, very beginning of creation, every single, billions upon billions, all of those who died in the, the flood of Noah, or those billions of folks, we think they're gone and lost forever. No. They are eternal beings, and they're actually eternal body and soul. Because all of those people are going to hear his voice, you know. Marvel at that. How does that happen? They, I mean, their, their molecules are di disintegrated at this point. But God has a way. <laughs> he has absolute power. He creates out of nothing. And, and, and they'll come out. And so let's go to the cemetery this afternoon. It's a very quiet place. Lots of the graves have been there a long time. They're sunken, even. And, and this says that at some point in the near future, it's going to be a place of unbelievable commotion. They will come out. All of these people. Imagine that. And come out. And here comes the judgment. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 
Now, this is activated by Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So clearly, if you are not believing, you're not trusting in him, then you are not in him, and you will not receive the benefits of his salvation. I'm going to sum this up really quickly because time is marching on. Jesus is one with the Father. We ran into that in John 11. It's all over. He is one with the Father. Jesus will do great works. He will raise the dead. He will be the judge of all. Jesus must be honored equally with the Father in this text. In absolute truth, Jesus will raise all humanity to a great judgment. And get this last bullet. True believers demonstrate their submission to the Lord through doing good. See, this is a provocative part of this. Verse 29, and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So this is a great divide. All of these human beings will be divided into either life or judgment. And, and see, I wish it would say, and all those who believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, they would go to the resurrection of life. Because that sort of fits what I wish it would say. Uh, you know, all in favor? Say aye. <laughs> Let's change the Bible here. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's appreciate what it's actually saying. And I think it's saying this. It's well demonstrated through many other texts of Scripture. But true believers demonstrate their submission to the Lord through doing good. It's not those who said, oh yeah, you know, when I was eight, I said the magic words. And the pastor baptized me. I'm going to heaven. And I've lived my entire life for myself. Uh, I've been rebellious. I've never submitted to God. I kept saying, that's not my God. Uh, and he's going to let me into heaven because I said the magic words. What are the magic words? Dear God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I, it sounds like I'm mocking. And maybe I am, huh? Because I don't think that matches up to what God has said. Okay? This doesn't say you say the magic words. It says you live a life in submission to God. None of us do this perfectly. We're all so bad at it. But we repent and we come in submission like Mary. We fall at his feet and say, Lord, help me. I need you to be the resurrection and the life in me. Well, we're going to stop right there. I mean, let me go here. Uh, this is a great sermon, but the whistle rings and we'll quit right here. Uh, but I wanted to show this last slide. This kind of sums it up. How, how should this affect us? First of all, Follow Martha in faith. Did you see that in our text? Let me just read the words of actual Martha, what she said. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Yes, believe it, say it, confess it. I'm not against public confession of faith. Um, Absolutely follow Martha in faith. Be prepared. Huge change is coming. Huge change. Jesus Christ is coming back himself. The, the graveyards will be emptied. I can't even imagine this. 
the, the mass of every single human being who ever lived will be raised. <coughs> Excuse me. That's somebody who has power. <laughs> Jesus has this power. This is not a fantasy. It's not a fairy tale. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is the nature of God. Of him, through him, and to him are all things. This is his creation, his playground. He did it with his hands. We can't even figure out how many stars there are. He made them all and spread out the heavens. Huge changes coming. Lord, let us be prepared in faith. Let's make faith a present tense verb. Work while we have the opportunity. The Lord's given us today. You know, today, let's do what he's calling us to do. Don't put it off for tomorrow. We don't know about tomorrow. Do it today. Know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is probably the best, beautiful conclusion to the whole teaching of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, John 11, and it stretches our hearts and minds. It's beautiful. We thank you for granting it to us. And Lord, may we take it for granted. May we take it as a gift from you. And Lord, would you please be so kind to work in our, our rebellious hearts and, and submit us to you, Lord. Give us new hearts of, of flesh. We need a heart transplant. We need you to work and to bring us life. And Lord, we who have come and have been born again, we are still here and we're being sanctified, your precious word says. We need progress. Lord, so strengthen us, move us, work in us, we pray. Prepare us for the great day of change. We know the day is coming. Amen.